This is a Federal News Network podcast. Congress, with the backing of the Biden administration, is going to make a fresh run at funding for the nation's infrastructure. Recently, the American Society of Civil Engineers confirmed that the infrastructure could stand some rebuilding. For what impact the Biden plan could have and how to pick the most worthy projects, we turn to civil engineer and former ASCE president, Greg DiLoretto. Mr. DiLoretto, good to have you on. Thank you for having me. And looking at this bill, it does propose quite a bit, several hundred billion dollars directly for engineering projects and infrastructure projects as we classically understand infrastructure. What does it look like could be the delta in spending per annum on this type of infrastructure versus what the nation now spends, do you think? As you know, for every four years, we've been looking at infrastructure and doing a report card that we give a grade on the condition of our nation's infrastructure. We just released our last one, 2021, uh, here in March, and the grade for the entire infrastructure, 17 categories, was a C-, minus. first time we ever got there. That was the good news. The bad news was that 11 of those categories still get a grade in the Ds, and four got Cs and two got Bs. Now, we also look at what the cumulative investment need is on those 17 categories. Between 2020 and 2029, we show needs to bring our infrastructure up to a grade of B, good condition, meets our needs of almost $6 trillion. We show that we currently have funding or anticipated funding of around $3.4 trillion. And so we have a funding gap of around $2.6 trillion. And so it's that gap, that delta, that we're hoping this package will help close. We're realistic that it's not entirely federal government's responsibility to close that gap, but they certainly need to be a partner. And that's something they haven't been over the last several years in helping local governments, which own most of the infrastructure, uh, doing things that will close the gap and make sure wherever you are in this country, the infrastructure is good for your economic prosperity and quality of life. I was going to say we're talking about publicly owned infrastructure, the traditional roads, bridges, and so on, not so much private infrastructure such as pipelines, correct? For the most part, although we do grade infrastructure by category, not by who owns it. So, for example, we have rail, which got our highest grade at a B. Most rail is privately owned. We also grade the electrical grid, and much of our electrical grid is privately owned. So we're really grading the infrastructure, not classifying who owned it. But you're correct. By and large, the majority is owned by local governments, whether it's our road system or the sewer system or the drinking water system that you use every day, uh, primarily are owned by some local government. And by the way, what is the grade for the grid overall? <laughs> yeah, so the energy grade was a C- minus this time. Okay, so not quite falling to pieces and ready to cause widespread blackouts, but mm. not where we need it. No, but close. Yeah, I mean, it's just <laughs> barely above a D plus, which is at risk and poor condition. So, I mean, it's right down there where it needs attention. There's many hundreds, I guess, thousands of potential projects then when you add up all of these categories across the country. What's a good process or way of thinking about them in order to, should this funding come through in some manner, to prioritize them? How do you know what to do first? Well, two things. One, we never look at one particular category as being more important than the other because what we have found is our infrastructure is tied together. So, for example, you could take the money and spend it all on roads, but then you still wouldn't have a functioning infrastructure because if you're trying to move your goods out of the United States overseas or get goods in and your ports aren't up to meeting the conditions, it doesn't help you. 
We could put all our money into drinking water, for example, but if our electrical system has problems, we can't treat the water. The same with wastewater. What we need to do is you have to work on all these together. Secondly, much of the money that all these infrastructure categories have is dedicated funding. So, for example, all the federal government might be able to move it around from piece to piece. The local governments are, are set. Their drinking water money goes to drinking water. can't go to roads, for example. And certainly the energy companies can't spend their money on roads. they got to spend it on energy. So really what we need to do is we got to attack them all. We've got to attack them all, and we have to have a thoughtful manner. Now, I will tell you that the people that own this infrastructure have thought about where their needs are, and they do capital planning anywhere from five to 20 years. They have their own projects that they know that will make their system work for the people that they serve. We are speaking with Greg DiLoretto. He's a civil engineer and former president of the American Society of Civil Engineers. And do you find often in looking across infrastructure projects that sometimes the reviews and the permitting and the various regulatory processes slow this down to the point where maybe if things happen faster, we would have a better grade for the infrastructure? You know, there's no question that we go through a rigorous process before a project gets built. Uh, There are a lot of stakeholders that have an interest in every project gets built, from the people actually building them to the people that are going to use them to the effects they have on in areas around. And so it is a rather lengthy process that has been put in place because everybody wants to have an opportunity to comment on how that project's going to affect them. And, uh, you know, that's certainly a lesson that we picked up during the interstate highway system when we didn't do those kinds of things. And so, yeah, it does make it longer. There's no question about it. And I know there have been some efforts in the past, the past administrations, two of them have tried to streamline the permitting process. While it still incorporates stakeholder views, it does it in a little more efficient manner. Well, I guess it's probably easier to rebuild an existing road versus widening one, which is, in a sense, building a new road or redoing a water system already buried in place than cutting a new bridge across a river and taking out neighborhoods on both sides. Certainly expanding existing systems easier, but we have to be you know, realistic that there are some areas that we are going to have to go through the process of building new because they haven't been either served before or they've been so underserved that they'd have to have an expansion of the system. But based on what you said earlier, then, it seems like the best way for this money, should it get appropriated to the decisions made on how to spend it, really, the closer to local you get, the better decisions you're likely to get. Absolutely. The people that run these systems day in and day out that own them, they know where their needs are. They know where their customer needs are. They're the ones that can really make that decision. And we've done that before with federal money, whether it's the state revolving drinking water funds or wastewater funds. You know, the money would come from the federal government. There are some policy issues that they want to see happen. But after that, you know, we have a way of prioritizing projects, each of the states and cities and locales. And how do you get the best civil engineers on rebuilding? I would think it's more exciting to design a bridge from scratch or a brand new something or other than it is to just revamp the old one that was put in in 1890. Well, the fact is that uh, as civil engineers, we're so excited to see for the first time in the, what is it, 23 years that we've been working on this report card, actually see a program, a national infrastructure package go forward. We're just excited about trying to get to the infrastructure to make that grade higher. And it's not about getting a higher grade. It's about having an infrastructure that enhances our economic prosperity and our quality of life. And I've never heard civil engineers complain about having to do existing projects. I have heard uh, kind of a 
funny tale of a friend of mine who was also an ASC president was telling me that he worked for a highway department and they're replacing the, the very first bridge he did 45 years ago because it had wore out. Right. To live long enough, you might be able to see anything. I guess people don't, yeah. don't appreciate infrastructure so much until it collapses. Absolutely. And I think that's a key point is we really take it for granted every single day until it doesn't work for us anymore. And then we complain about it until it gets fixed. And then we go on with our lives and we forget about it again. The fact is so much of our infrastructure is buried below the ground. And we do take it for granted, whether it's turning on the tap, any faucet in our home, getting clean, safe drinking water, flushing the toilet. I mean, when we think about infrastructure at all, if we think about it, it probably tends to be towards more towards roads because we drive on those every day and we see them. But otherwise, we just think about it when it breaks. And that's what we have to get away from. We have to think about it all the time because it's an expensive piece of something that you, as a customer, we all own this infrastructure. And it's like owning a house. And you wouldn't fix the roof. You wouldn't let it go till you had to replace it. And you wouldn't not give it a coat of paint such that you let it go that you had to recite it because, you know, you can't afford really to do that. Well, it's the same with our infrastructure. We've kind of let it go. And in many cases, we're now to the point where we have to recite it or re-roof it because we just didn't maintain it due to lack of investment. Greg DiLoretto is a civil engineer and former president of the American Society of Civil Engineers. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, you getting the word out. We'll post this interview along with a link to that report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your personal infrastructure. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader. All of these are backward-looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is 
tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. Uh, led This is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime and uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on, and you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. Will you and everyone you work with lose their minds if you don't use Upwork to bring in more talent to help? Yep. Can you afford to spend months finding that talent the old-fashioned way? Nope. Can you hire them in seconds on Upwork? Yep. Is it complicated? Nope. Can you have them as long as you need? Yep. Longer than you need? Nope. Is Upwork a newer, better way to work? Yep. Is this commercial over? Nope. What about now? Yep. Upwork. This is how we work now. 